All right, let's pray before we jump into the message. Our last message on fighting guilt. Next week, we're going to start uh, the book of Ephesians, which I'm super excited about as well. And if you notice or watched any of our videos, I'm excited about everything. So uh, it's not, not out of the norm that I would be excited. But uh, praise the Lord. That's what God does to you when uh, you follow his path. You get to be excited about just about everything. So let's pray before we jump in. Dear Jesus, thank you for that reminder, Lord, that we need to trust in you, uh, not lean on our own understanding, God. I pray this morning as we look at your word that you would help us uh, to not look at things like we are prone to look at them, but rather look at them from your perspective. God, I pray for that person today, God, that's uh, struggling with guilt or that person today that's struggling with pride, uh, that person that thinks um, that they're right, God, and everybody else is wrong, maybe, Lord, or, or that person that uh, feels unworthy today or anxious. Lord, I pray through this service that you would speak to their heart, um, God, and draw us all closer and closer to you. We love you and thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Hopefully, so far in this series, you've been searching your heart and looking for places where guilt has taken hold, and you began preaching to yourself that there is now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Hopefully, that's been the process, that you haven't just sat in the room today and said, oh, that was a great message for the person that's sitting next to me or the great message for the person that uh, isn't here this morning, but rather says, God, how can I apply these truths to my life? There's a phenomenon in the medical field called phantom limb pain. Phantom limb pain. It's not like a ghost thing. What it is is when a person loses a limb, their mind can still tell them that that limb is there. And it can be a sensation of something like an itch that they can't scratch or even an intense pain. And phantom limb pain can be a lot like what we struggle with, guilt. See, between us and God, when we've asked for forgiveness, that is no longer there, but it can still cause us annoyance and it can still cause us pain. And that is why we must fight guilt. That is why we must fight this constant feeling of there's something between me and my God when we know that we've gone to him and we've asked for forgiveness and we've asked uh, for him to cover our sins with his grace. We've talked about how guilt is not a good motivator and how it's not the right motive and how we should only serve Jesus out of our abundance of love for him, not out of any effort to make him love us more or any effort to be seen or to have people think well of us. We also talked about how guilt can cause us to run from God instead of run to God. We mentioned how we can get distracted from our relationship with Jesus by trying to do and be enough. And instead, we should just cherish and adore Jesus Christ and hang on every word and enjoy him. I want you to think about something right now. If we polled the American church, the Christian church in general, how many of you, how many, what percentage do you think would come back of people that actually enjoyed their relationship with God? See, it's not supposed to be that way, though. It's not supposed to be this thing that is a burden on us and a heavy load. The Bible tells us to come to him, all that are heavy laden, and he will give us rest. Is that what classifies your life? Rest and peace. 
Love, joy, all those fruits of the Spirit. Last week we talked about the difference between Mary and Martha. And today we're going to deal with two more characters with two motivations, just like last week. One motivated to do more and the other motivated to abide in. Judah Smith has some ideas about this. There's an old saying that says, start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. This is something we all should be meditating on. If we continue to live the way that we are, where and how are we going to turn out? Some of you say, well, I'm you know, 60 years old. I think I'm going to turn out exactly like I am because I don't have much turning to go. But that's not true. You can start today and see real change if you would start now with the end in mind. Who are you going to become? Many times we say things like, I'm never going to become like them, or my marriage will never get that bad, or I'll never get in that much debt. But in order to finish well, you have to start well. And we need to decide today what we're going to live for. Life is precious, and life is finite. Paul said that life is but a vapor. It appears just for a little while, and then it passes away. And we know that it's about more than just making ourselves happy. We know it's about more than just money and fame and sex and power or pleasure. Even Jim Carrey, the celebrity, you know, the, the Grinch and Dumb and Dumber, even someone that's in a movie called Dumb and Dumber knows this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. He says, I wish that you could have everything that you ever wanted so that you could get to the end and find out that that is not the answer. You know those things don't satisfy. Here's the question. If you finally get what you've always longed for, what will you truly have? If you finally get the thing that you've always been hoping for and dreaming for, for many of us when we were in our teenage years, we would dream about one day getting married and having kids. And those of us that are married know that that's not all the answers. It might be an amazing thing, but I cannot find my hope and faith and trust in a person. Why? Because we can't fulfill a place that only God is intended to fill. Only your relationship with God can ever truly satisfy. Are earthly and temporal things always bad? Absolutely not. In the right context, there can be great. But is that what you want on your tombstone? Here lies Phil Wayman, 1985 to 2007. Teen. There it is. Man, I'm back. I already had myself dying in 2017, and now I died 10 years ago because I said it wrong. Here lies Phil Wayman, 1985, 2017. He had a nice house. Is that what I want? Here lies Phil Wayman, 1985 to 2017, he had a neon green Jeep. Is that what I want to be known for? Is that what I want every, if you didn't know that, that's true. If you see a neon green Jeep riding around, just wave at me. Most likely it's me. It's like a one in three chance. I've got Georgia plates. No, actually I don't have any plates, but don't tell anybody about that. I got to get that done. <laughs> I've been to funerals before, and you probably have as well, where... The thing that everybody talked about was something like fishing. 
man, he really loved to fish. He really liked to rip those lips. That's what they say in Georgia. He really loved to catch the big one. How sad is that? That person after person would come up and say he was a great fisherman. I don't know about you, but that's not what I want to be known as. I want to be known as a person that followed Jesus and loved Jesus with all that I am. I want people to remember me for loving Jesus. And if I want to end there, then I have to start there. See, we all know it's not enough to make big promises and big commitments. When I was a kid, they used to say, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Very confusing, right? But they used to say it to me over and over again so much that I still remember it now. That our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Hey, big commitments and big boisterous uh, proclamations of how, what, how and what you're going to do aren't enough. Well, we're going to look at two people in the Bible, and both are at the end of the book of John, and both are disciples. And we're going to once again look at the most famous dinner party in the Bible, the Lord's Supper. It's so famous that we reenacted once a month here at Clarksburg Baptist Church, and we call it communion. All the 12 disciples are around the table. And has anyone else found it weird that they're all on one side of the table in all the pictures, right? Who eats like that? Like 12 people on one side of the table. Doesn't make any sense. But Jesus had some things that he wanted to tell these disciples. These guys had followed Jesus so long. They had seen so much. The lame had walked. The blind saw. See, they had expected Jesus to be the next king and to rebel against Rome and, and that Jesus would help make Israel an independent country again. And they believed that they would follow him to death if they had to. John 13, 21. Let's take a look at what Jesus told them. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say unto you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. All the 12 disciples are here, but only three are highlighted in this passage. Obviously, Judas would betray Jesus, but let's look at those two other disciples that are highlighted, Peter and John. See, this is a pivotal point, a turning point for the disciples. They're sitting there, and they're talking, and they're happy, and they're excited about what's going on. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Awkward, right? Really called them all out there, right? Well, who is it? John's sitting as close to Jesus as he possibly can. And in Jewish culture, to lay over on someone's shoulder was symbolic of closeness. And at first blush, this may seem strange today. If, for instance, uh, let's see, two people, Josh was leaning over on Alan. That might seem a little strange. But when two, there you go. See, it's a little weird. But when two men are close... That barrier that we always put between each other doesn't matter so more. Ron, every single day, 
gives me a hug so big that he almost kills me, and he lifts me up off the ground like a baby, and it makes me feel real secure. <laughs> but when we guys know each other, it's not that weird to invade personal space. And this was simply a close sign of friendship. My son and my daughter do whatever they can to sit as close as they possibly can, even when it's very uncomfortable for us. They, they, they're going to squeeze in there with Tori or, or I, and especially Tori. If she's sitting, doesn't matter if she's sitting on a little stool, they're both going to be on top of her as quick as they possibly can. Why? Because they want to be close to her. And that's John. Much like Mary of Bethany, John wants to be at the feet of Jesus as, as close as he possibly can. In the book of John, which is this same John, the John that wrote the Gospels, as he writes about himself, he never once mentions his own name. In the whole book, he never says, John did this. Every single time he talks about John, he mentions himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. The disciple that Jesus loved. See, he didn't want to be known and defined by his name, but rather by the love that Jesus had for him. He was 100% sure of Jesus' love for him. No question about it. No pride involved. He knew where he stood with Jesus. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, in an ideal world, I think all the disciples would have looked at themselves in that way. But we know for sure that John did. Later, all the disciples promised Jesus that they would never deny him and never leave him. Mark 14. And Jesus said to him, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Then Peter said to him, Even though all will fall away, I will not. I've always thought that was weird, right? Like, wait, what, Peter? You... Jesus just literally said that he was going to die and raise again. And all you're worried about in this whole situation is your pride. There's no way, Jesus, that I would ever fall. And Jesus said to him, truly, I will tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Jesus says, look, they're going to kill me. And you're all going to flee, but I will raise again. But old Pete won't stand for it. He says, no matter what, I will never leave your side. I will die for you. That, that right there is a picture of who Peter is. He's always the first one to speak up. He's always trying to prove himself. Peter makes a lot of promises and he even cuts a guy's ear off to prove his commitment to Jesus. When was the last time you did that? But just a few hours later, after he cuts someone's ears off in the name of Jesus, he denies Christ three times, just like Jesus said he would. Now let's fast forward to the crucifixion and look who is left with Jesus. Look who had not deserted Jesus. In John chapter 19, it says, But standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and... The disciple whom Jesus loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And after that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. See, Jesus is on the cross. And where do we find John, the disciple that Jesus loved? 
Once again, he's close as possible to Jesus. He's right at the foot of the cross, risking his life, risking imprisonment to be there, close enough that Jesus could talk to him. While all these people are around him, ready to uh, just collapse on the disciples that may have been there. We don't know of any of the other ones that were there, though. We only know of John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Were they hiding? Were they disguised? We don't know. But John was right there in the front, willing to die. Jesus on the cross thinks of the welfare of his mother. Many believe that her husband Joseph by this point had died. And Jesus appoints John to take care of his mother. Luke 22 tells us where Peter was, which is weird that he's not there, right? You're the one that said you would never leave him, you would never forsake him. You're the one that is so loud and outspoken. Where are you at here, Peter? Luke 22 tells us that Peter was alone somewhere, weeping bitterly about his failures. If ever Jesus needed a friend by his side, it was now. But Peter was drowning in guilt alone, weeping about his regrets instead of being at the feet of Jesus Christ. Instead of being there for his friend, he was thinking about himself, drenched in self-pity and in self-loathing. Obviously, both Peter and John loved Jesus, and they wanted to do what was right. And even after the resurrection, Peter bounces back, which is a beautiful picture of redemption once again. He redeems himself, and he becomes one of the most powerful preachers to have ever lived. And eventually he does fulfill his promise of being in prison and dying for the cause of Jesus Christ. But what sets these two disciples apart before the resurrection? One is remembered as being the only disciple there at the cross, and the other is remembered for denying Christ publicly. Let's go back and look at the Lord's Supper for clues. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. They all gasp. <gasps> guys are just dead today. Jeez, man, come on. I was trying to be funny up here. Break it up. Let me try that again. <gasps> ah, there we go. Now you're... They all gasp. But John's just lounging beside Jesus. And he just sits there leaning on Jesus. Peter jumps up, starts pointing around the room. Who could be the one that's going to betray you, Jesus? It's not me. I already said I'd die for you. Well, maybe it's you. Well, maybe it's you. Peter wants to do something about it. He wants to find the scoundrel. And we can relate to Peter feeling that way, right? We feel like we need to do things all the time. He wants to fix the problem. Much like Martha, there's so much to do and there's so much that's important. And he wants to prove himself to Jesus. And he wants to prove his worth. And finally, Peter motions to John. Hey, John, come on. Ask Jesus. You're right there. Why haven't you asked Jesus who this person is yet? And John's just there, relaxed leaning on Jesus' shoulder. But who is there left at the foot of the cross when everyone else betrayed Jesus? John, the disciple that Jesus loved. See, John had something that was stronger than promises, stronger than talk. John had something deeper than grand gestures. He had an intense love. Peter couldn't face Jesus at the cross. His self-condemnation kept him far away. Judah Smith says this, if our whole focus is how much we can do for God, how devoted we are to him, and how much we love him, 
rather than how much he does for us and how much he loves us, eventually we'll find ourselves in a pity party away from the cross. See, it's not about what you do for God. It's about what he has done for you. See, faithfulness, hard work, and commitment are great, but we cannot put our trust in ourselves. We can't depend on our own efforts to stay true to Jesus. Vows won't keep us at the cross. Only love will. Keeping ourselves in the love of God is the only way to end well. See, it's not as, as if actions are bad, but they must start with a dependence on God. They must start and end in love and in the grace of God. And any effort in our own power will end in failure and in wrong motives and in self-pity. Everything must flow out of the abundance of our love for him. It boils down to this. Peter wanted to prove himself. John wanted to be close to Jesus. Peter worried that Jesus, uh, what Jesus thought about him. And John saw himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Guilt is not a good motivator. It kept Peter away from the cross. But love caused John to risk death to be there for Jesus when he needed him most. Effort, work, and ability are all important things, but they will not ensure that at the end you will still be following Jesus. We've all been around long enough to see a Christian uh, that would make big vows and be uh, boisterous with their faith, and they talk a big game for Christ, but since then they fizzled out. And the only way that you will be able to continue to lean on Jesus through the craziness of life is to start and stop every day abiding in the love of Christ. You have to start with the end in mind. You have to lean on Jesus, enjoy Jesus, rest in Jesus. Don't be motivated by guilt. Remember that you are the Christian that Jesus loved. And stop trying to prove that you're enough. And trust that what Christ did was enough. How can you end your life being remembered as a follower of Christ? You be like Mary. The Bible says that we would talk about her for the rest of time because of her devotion. Be like John, the only one there for Jesus in his time of greatest need. There was once a man that asked Jesus once, Teacher, in Matthew 22, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. See, the, the greatest commandment is not some list of things to do or how to clean yourself up before you try and follow Christ. It is love, uh, to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. John got it. And Mary got it. And that's where we all need to start. Clarksburg Baptist Church, if we do everything else right, but we miss love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our mind, then we missed it all. We could come in here and have a great church service every single day. We could have a good offering. The children's ministry could go well. The choir could go well. The worship band could go well. But if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, it's for nothing. Every business meeting could go swimmingly and our finances could be great. But if we miss this, it's all for nothing. That's the question today. Who are you relying on? 
Are you relying on your own ability and your own efforts and your own power? Or are you leaning today on Jesus Christ? When you get up on Monday morning, you, you go to work and you say things, well, I'd love to be a good witness today. Well, whose power are you leaning on? When you're going through marital problems, whose power are you leaning on? When your finances are messed up, are you the one trying to fix everything and figure it out? The problem is, is you can't know the future. But you serve a God that does know. Lean on him. Pursue him. Push for him. You could ask yourself today, am I the person that God wants me to be? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind? Put away all the list of to-dos of do you do this or do you do that or are you serving here or are you doing that? Put that all away and ask yourself, do I love him with my heart, my soul, and my mind? And you're never going to get to that place where you can just say, ah, I finally did it. But you can push towards it. Are you regularly spending time at the feet of Jesus Christ? If you want to end there, you have to start there. Many of us have known Christians through the hardships of their lives, sickness, financial problems. At the end of their lives, you've seen a Christian that you knew they got it. On their deathbed, I remember a man by the name of Mr. Dan at Faith Baptist Church. He would go through chemotherapy all the time, and he would be the one out there every single workday working me under the table. And with his last days, he was pressing towards Jesus and relying on Jesus. I remember a man by the name of Bubba Hendricks. At the end of his life, he was still there at the foot of the cross. Why? Because of all of that he had done for Jesus? No, because all of what Jesus had done for him. We cannot miss. See, I thought about as I've gone through this series, it probably would be better to not call it fighting guilt, because that's kind of a distraction here. It's really about what are your motives. Are you motivated to impress God, to make God love you more? Or are you motivated because God loves you so much? Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads. The worship team's going to come. The question today is, are you that Christian that loves the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind? You can rest assured that Jesus loves you. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. This is a time between you and God. Say, God, where do I stack up to this picture of John and this picture of Mary, who with all they were, risked everything to be as close as they possibly could to Jesus? The altar's open this morning. There is no judgment. Don't let pride stand in your way. Don't, don't let what people would say. If I go down to the altar, man, they're going to think I've got some kind of horrendous sin. Who cares? John risked everything to be at the foot of the cross, regardless of the fact that he had to risk his life. 
God spoke to your heart, I'm not trying to make you come. But if God spoke to your heart, don't hold back. 